0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Man at 50 podcast. I'm your host, S. Richard, author of the book Man at 50, A Journey of Crisis, Revelation, and Survival. So let's get started on the Man at 50 podcast, a podcast that is for you, your little person within you, your hopes, your dreams, and hopefully a new plan for the future. Welcome our new sponsor to the Man at 50 podcast, Scars and Stripes Coffee Company. They empower veterans to build their own business using their e-commerce platform. When you purchase from Scars and Stripes Coffee, you are buying from a veteran, and your purchase directly impacts the men and women who have served our country. Do more than say, thank you for your service. Order today and empower a veteran. Use vet code Brad Richard at ScarsAndStripesCoffee.com That's ScarsAndStripesCoffee.com Welcome back, everybody, to the Man at 50 podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard. And uh, today's episode, I have a special guest on with me, Jay Tyson. And he is going to be telling us about his book. Actually, he has two books, Volume 1 and Volume 2. But the first book we're going to talk about is the wise men of the West. And uh this is quite an epic journey. Uh this this book is uh is is pretty in depth and uh and it's it's uh it's quite the story. So welcome Jay are you with me on the uh on the line? I am thank
1: you very much. It's good to be here.
0: You're welcome. Nice to have you. Um you know I've I went through uh the first volume and I I uh, as far as the second volume, we'll we'll talk about that a little later. But tell the listeners a little bit about um, your background and what led you to writing this type of story, um, and obviously explain a little bit more about the title and what the meaning is.
1: All right. Okay. Um, yeah, so my background uh, is i I grew up outside of Detroit, Michigan. Um, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, And uh, I always had a question uh, as I learned the Presbyterian lessons um, as to, you know, we heard about uh, the story of uh, Noah, the story of Abraham, the story of Moses, and then, of course, the story of Jesus. It seemed like God sent messengers from uh, time to time, from age to age and yet it has been 2,000 years, and uh, seemed like there hasn't been any message. Uh, so I was always kind of curious about that. Um, when I was in high school, I learned uh, a little bit about Islam and found out that that was more recent than Christianity, and then I also learned about another religion called the Baha'i Faith, uh, which seemed to put that all together, and of course that was... Uh, much more recent. That uh, started in the year 1844. <clears throat> so I learned about the background of that, um, and I also learned that there was a group in America in 1844 that believed that Christ would return. Uh, the, the Well, you may be aware of the Mormons. They began approximately at that time in the 1830s and the early 1840s. Uh, But in addition to them, there was another group that was led by a William Miller, who was a self-taught preacher and looked very carefully at the prophecies that are in the Bible and um, came to the conclusion, based on those prophecies, that Christ should return in the year 1844. So I knew about this um, for a long time, and in the year... 2013, when I was in, uh, I was coming back from a trip to New England, I decided to stop by and visit the farmhouse uh, where William Miller, served as the basis for William Miller and his teachings. That farmhouse is maintained as a historical site by the Seventh-day Adventists. So I stopped there and had a wonderful day of learning more about the details of his history. Um, And on my way back, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about how they knew so much about what had happened here in the United States uh, and to some degree in Europe. There was this great awakening, um, as it was called. There were uh, about 100,000 people that followed William Miller and that were expecting Christ to return in 1844, 100,000 in the United States. Um, So it was a big, big thing at that time. Mm-hmm. And there were others in Europe as well that were along the same lines. Um, but, of course, nothing happened, and it became known <laughs> as the Great Disappointment. You can look that up uh, on, on uh, like, Wikipedia or whatever. It's still known today as the Great Disappointment. Right. Um, so I was thinking, you know, about the fact that they they know so much about this, but they didn't know what was going on. Uh, in the Middle East at that time, because in the Middle East, there was a very similar uh, situation unfolding, uh, focused on the very same year, uh, year of expectation. Uh, and also, as I learned later, there was a great expectation uh, for the year 1840 in the Jewish community that led to the earliest uh, migrations to the Holy Land that eventually grew until it became the modern state of Israel. So a uh, few months after this trip to the William Miller farmhouse, I was uh, driving back from Michigan, my family home, I uh, had a rental truck, um, I was bringing some furniture back and I was, my mind started to uh, wander back to my visit, thinking about how could I somehow tell a story that would bring together What was going on in 1844 here in America with what was going on in the Holy Land and what was going on in the uh, Islamic world. So as I was thinking it occurred to me that perhaps the form of a novel uh, of someone who was on a search, uh, who had the financial means and had the religious interest uh, to sail from the United States to the Holy Land, and based on what he learned there uh, to sail, or to to travel, excuse me, travel overland, onward uh, to uh, the, uh, what's called at that time Mesopotamia and to Persia. Uh, As I was thinking about this, within a few minutes of thinking about it, the truck that I was driving started to, the steering wheel started to lurch to the left and right, you know, something was clearly wrong. I pulled off to the shoulder, I called the rental company. They called a local mechanic. The local mechanic brought me into their station and uh, figured out what was broken. And he came out of the office and he said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is I figured out exactly what's wrong with the truck and I know how to fix it. The bad news is that the part I need can't get here until tomorrow morning. So suddenly I was in the middle of Ohio, a small town in Ohio with nothing to do for about 24 hours except that i had this strange idea about writing a novel and i had a pad of paper and a pencil and so with my 24 hours i decided to sketch out you know what what i was thinking what possibilities there were so that was 2013 And uh, it's been a lot of research and a lot (laughs) of writing. (laughs) I bet. But in 2019, I wrapped it up. And I was uh, very fortunate and able uh, able to find a publisher. So the first volume was published in November of last year. And the second volume we published in April of this year. So it's now out, The Wise Men of the West, A Search for the Promised One, in the latter days
0: wow uh, and um that was quite the intro <laughs> that was a great intro um now as far as you know i was i was following along um and i apologize to the listeners there was probably some background noise and that was that was not on jay's side that was on my side there was some background noises uh and i'll try to edit that out but if not um you know we we're, we're we're not scripted here. We're not te- We're teleprompter free, so it's you know we wing it. But uh, those those background noises just uh, just ignore those. But um, now, according to you know the, uh, when you were kind of telling us a little bit about the, your background, and and leading up to writing the story, did um, basically all the major religions of the world believe that? That, that there is another teacher, that there is another, um, um, another return, you know, uh, is, is that correct? That
1: is correct, actually, yeah. Of course, uh, I think most of the listeners are familiar with uh, Judaism and the fact that they are expecting a Messiah to come. Uh, I go into some of the details as to why a group expected the Messiah to arrive in 1840 uh, in the book. Um, The Muslims have an expectation that the promised one would arrive uh, sometime in the 1200s in their calendar. The Shiite Muslims, um, they have a particular focus on the year 1260, according to their own prophecies. And it so happens that the year 1260 in the Muslim calendar is exactly the year 1844 in the Christian calendar. So uh, all three religions have, uh, uh, you know, detailed expectations. Um, Hinduism also has expectations of a 10th avatar. Um, The Buddhist uh, religion has a belief in the coming of the fifth Buddha. uh, And Zoroastrianism, which started about a thousand years before Jesus, uh, talks about the coming of uh, messengers or, uh, I believe his name, uh, coming about every thousand years. So since, uh, Zoroaster was about a thousand years before Jesus, it's now 3,000 years after Zoroaster. And so the Zoroastrians have an expectation of their promised one coming at this time as well. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's quite a fascinating
0: story. Well, Well, I, I guess, I guess the, uh, The elephant in the room. Okay, the the big question is is which one of them are correct?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And so many religions believe that you know when their promised one comes, it will prove that their religion is the correct one, and the Mm -hmm. others can be left behind. Right. Uh, However, nobody seems to have considered the possibility that all of them could be correct in uh, in many ways, maybe not in literal ways, but in spiritual ways. Uh, it might be possible that a single fulfillment uh, would fulfill the prophecies of all. And so I sometimes right. describe this, although this is not in the book, but I sometimes describe it as, you know, each religion kind of regards itself as as being in a tunnel, and they see a light at the end of the tunnel, and that light is the coming of their promised one. Uh, What they don't realize is that the religions are like tunnels in a crater mountain. Each of the tunnels is looking toward the center of the crater, and so there can be one light at that center, that is illuminating all of the tunnels at the same time mm-hmm. uh, so this is the baha'i understanding
0: yeah that's um i think uh, i'm of uh, of a strong belief is as far as there is a there is a strand of truth in all of uh, all religions around the world mm-hmm. um they have so many connective uh aspects or elements to them and and you know i mean depending on who you're talking to it you know um they may not admit that or agree to that but i do think there is a connectivity and there is truth found in all of them and like you said is it a matter of one religion over the other being correct or the timing being right or is there a universal uh event that all of the religions can point to and say that that particular event is what we were talking about, you know mm-hmm. like you said, uh, you said it better than I did, but yeah that <laughs> that makes you know that makes a lot of sense um, yeah, I, I think that the um
1: you know the we all know that the religions have certain ethical standards that are pretty much universal, I mean the golden rule. You find in all of the religions, um, they all seem to be teaching mankind to uh, think about his brother and and treat his brother correctly and so on. Uh, But in addition to that that similarity, I find it fascinating that there are many prophecies that link together and the prophecies tend to link the uh, newer religion with the one of the past. So I, I find it a fascinating study.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to uh, – I have so many questions in my head. As far as the wise, the wise men of the West, okay, um, can you kind of explain the difference? I mean, the, the perspective of the wise men in the West opposed to the wise men in the East, okay? Exactly. We all, everyone knows about the story of the wise men of the East. Um, but the wise men of the West – basically without without giving too much of the story away just kind of if you can explain to the listeners who who they were
1: yeah so are um, they
0: symbolic yeah
1: i i use the title uh because it's kind of a mirror image of the story at the time of jesus although you know we know that uh we have the story of the three wise men that show up in the christmas scene every year Uh, But a lot of people forget about the fact that these were magi. Magi is a reference specifically to the religious class of the Zoroastrian religion. The Zoroastrian religion was the religion of the large empire of Persia. Um, And so there was something, there was some kind of prophecy in their religion that guided the priests To look for a new messenger and to look not within the Persian Empire, but to travel westward uh, from Persia to the Holy Land. And I think one of the most amazing things about their uh, search is that they had come looking for the King of the Jews. So you would expect that they would be looking in palaces or something like that. And indeed, they did come first to Jerusalem, asking about uh, the, the the baby who was born King of the Jews. Um, they were told to go to Bethlehem, and there they find this small child with Mary and Joseph in a manger. A manger is a place where you know the animals feed, uh, so it was not an exalted uh, place at all. It was not the sort of thing that you would expect of a king. And in spite of that they were able to recognize that he was a spiritual king, not a a physical king. Uh, So they were truly wise men. They were able to ignore some of the outer uh, signs and understand the inner spiritual reality. Uh, So in this day and age, in the mid 1800s, there is again prophecy, just as, as Zoroaster had prophesied the coming of Jesus, now Jesus has made certain prophecies about the coming of his return, and in 1844 uh, the people in my story uh, are kind of emulating the search that the wise men of the East did. They, they didn't wait for um, Jesus to come down from the sky or anything like that. They decided to go out and search, and so in the same way the characters in my story have decided to go out and conduct a search and see what they could find. So that's why it is called the Wise Men of the West, a kind of a mirror image of the Wise Men of the East story from the Bible, except set in the 1840s.
0: Now the 1840s and the search um, that they conducted was here in the U.S., is that correct?
1: Uh, It began uh, with Zach. He's our lead character in the U.S. Uh, It began with him visiting William Miller, this uh, historical character Mm -hmm. who, um, you know, had a clear understanding of the prophecy of the year. Uh, But then he is motivated by his understanding and the understanding of his father. Uh, His father dies in the first chapter and on his deathbed asks Zach to search in the Holy Land. And so Zach uh, had had wanted to search anyway, but uh, he carries out his father's dying wish um, and travels to the Holy Land. Along the way, he picks up a traveling companion in England, uh, someone who has previously lived in the Holy Land and is somewhat familiar with it. So that kind of eases the transition to a foreign society. Um, But uh, yeah, the first volume of the book is about the search in the Holy Land, so you know wow. most of it i mean uh, I guess the first uh, five chapters or so are in the United States, and then there's a chapter in England uh, a chapter that as they go to Italy, they stop in Rome briefly, and then the rest of the book is set there in the holy land
0: wow i uh, I, I must tell my want I, I to tell the listeners that if you're looking for a spiritual epic adventure or something to take you kind of out of today's uh crazy events and, then, and it seems like 2020 has been just insane for so many of us um this would be a great um like a kelgon take me away moment to kind of get you out of <laughs> out of what's uh, what is going on or around us and it just it sounds like it would just kind of take you and put you in a whole different world a different mindset and different perspective. so that that uh, yes I would encourage the listeners you really need to pick up a copy of uh, both volume one and two uh, of the wise uh, the wise men of the west is is uh, the title of, of both volumes one and two and we're going to take a short break but we've been talking with author Jay Tyson and he is uh, the author of Um, both of those books and we are going to be right back after a short break and we will talk a little further with Jay Tyson about his books maybe get in uh, a little deeper into them if that's possible Um, (laughs) and we'll try to uh, get up you know just a little bit a little more information Um, the books sound fascinating and really intriguing so we definitely want to uh, delve a little deeper into them when we come back Uh, we'll be right back folks after a short break I want to welcome our latest sponsor to the Man at 50 podcast. The company's name is Pure Green, and they are one of the fastest growing juice and smoothie bar franchises in the U.S. They are taking on health straight on with some fantastic, uh, healthy, delicious products. So I would encourage you to check them out at PureGreen.com. That's PureGreen.com. And um, I am very happy to be uh, associated with the Peer Green family and very happy uh, that they are a sponsor of the show. All right, we are back, folks, to the Man of 50 podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, and we have been talking with Jay Tyson, the author of The Wise Men of the West. And uh, this this book is an epic journey, Um Back into uh, a, a mindset of spiritual beliefs and religions, and the second, uh, the second coming of uh, of Jesus, or another name for another another great teacher, depending on what religion uh, is uh, is telling the story, I guess. So, welcome back, Jay. Thank you. <laughs> and um, we just had that short little break there. Um, before we went to break you know you were you kind of explaining the story and everything and i I wanted to get a little more into um now volume one you touched on volume one tell us a little bit about the transition from volume one to volume two you know i mean as far as the reader and the listener goes um Mm -hmm. where are they going to go after they read volume one, where, where does the story take them? Does it, does it transport them to a different you know, um, place when they go to volume two, to the second volume?
1: Yeah, so as they're searching in the Holy Land, the chief thing that they're searching for is any story of a child that had innate knowledge. You know, this is one of the characteristics uh, you read about in the Bible. It talks about how Jesus, even as a young boy, was able to teach the elders of the church, and they were amazed at where did his knowledge come from. Uh, But this uh, innate knowledge is not unique to the story of Jesus. You find it in the story of most of the messengers, uh, you know, of the various religions, the leaders, the the founders of the various religions. So they're searching, uh, and yet they are unable to find anybody who meets that uh, uh, criteria. Um But also while they're searching, they're thinking about other indications. and one of the indications is uh, the statement from Jesus, where he said, "As lightning comes from the east and shines far to the west, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man." So they understand that um, Jesus was in the Holy Land at the time. If he was referring to the East, maybe this uh, means that they should look for the east. They also uh, learn of some of the things in the Old Testament, some references in the Old Testament to the gate of the temple, which was facing to the east. It was kind of interesting that the entire uh, old city of Jerusalem was oriented so that it faced toward Shushan uh, or Susa, which was the place where Daniel had had the revelation that uh, of the prophecy um, that led William Miller to conclude that 1844 was a significant year. Uh, So there was that, there there were several indications there also, they had met some Muslims, they learned about Islam, they found out that there were indications in Islam that they should look toward Persia. Uh, And so with that in mind, and also they had heard about, uh, they had heard of a teacher that was in the town of Karbala, who was teaching about the Muslim expectations for the year 1844. So with all those things in mind, they make the decision to push their search eastward and head off to, uh, first to Karbala, to see what they can find there. And also they have in mind to travel to Persia, where the uh, home, to the hometown of the wise men of the east to find out if the Zoroastrians who lived there had any further knowledge about where to look. Um, And then they also want to visit the tomb of Daniel. You know, it's kind of interesting. Daniel's an Old Testament prophet, and I think we tend to think that, oh yeah, all the Old Testament prophets, they lived in the Holy Land. But this is not actually true. Daniel was part of the Jewish exile, uh, first to Babylon and then to Persia. And so he was in Persia when he had these visions about the coming of the promised one. Uh, that, those visions occurred in the, la- in the town of Shushan, which is in southwestern Persia. And his tomb is actually preserved, interestingly enough, uh, was preserved first by the Zoroastrians and later by, uh, I guess, when the uh, Christ- Christianity was there for a while, uh, and then the Muslims uh, took over. All this time, the tomb of Daniel has been preserved. So they wanted to visit that. Um so this is these are some of the things that led them to decide to uh push eastward. And uh my uh volume two begins when they leave the Holy Land and start their search further east.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was I was staying in there with you and I was I was following it, you know, uh step by step there. Um now do you think let's um, let's kind of move into the, you know, into the current year and, and time frame. Do you believe that people are still searching? Um, you, you have a group of people that may be searching, you mm-hmm. know, for, for, uh, the, the wise one or, or the return of the great teacher, and they may be searching for him or her now. Okay. Mm-hmm. The entity, um, and then, you have a group of people, obviously a large number of people believe that it, that, that hasn't happened yet. And the return is in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's so interesting and so complex when, when you think about it from, from an an aspect of multiple religions and Mm -hmm. multiple expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, from your perspective, with the research that you did and, and the writing of the story, even though it is, is, is a novel and it is, um, it is fiction, correct? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, it's a historic
1: fiction. For those who aren't yeah. familiar with the term, I uh, cite the uh, movie Titanic. Lots of people have seen Titanic. You have the story of Jack and Rose who are uh, fictional characters, but the whole story of the ship is uh is real history so you kind right. of are setting a fici- uh, fictional characters on top of real history so you can kind of it gives you i think a, a front row seat on history when you can be there move through it uh from the perspective of fictional characters
0: mm-hmm. so. um as as far as i think this topic is is uh is an important one um based on the things that we've seen you know going on around the world yeah twenty twenty has been rough for the United States but it's also been rough for the for other countries and and Absolutely. people you know people from many different religions and around the world um, have experienced you know these these uh, these serious changes um, do you think this is a precursor to to a return of and a spiritually enlightened teacher. (laughs) I'll put it that way. (laughs) Well,
1: um, yeah, uh, just to respond to uh, a lot of things you mentioned, um, there is a sense, uh, especially among the Christian and Jewish community, that um, we are living in the latter days. And uh, the reason for that is that there are prophecies Uh, Going as far back as Moses, that talk about the latter days, and they describe it as a time that there would be a time when the Jewish people would be banished from the Holy Land and scattered to all nations around the world. And then there would be a later time when they would be gathered together again in the Holy Land. So, this is one of the, this is probably the most prominent theme uh, of prophecy in the Old Testament. And it seemed impossible in the early uh, 1800s to think about how the Jewish people could have a nation of their own in the Holy Land. And yet, uh, this number of miraculous things just kind of fell into place. And more and more people started to migrate to the Holy Land. In uh, 1918, the British took over the Holy Land from the Islamic uh, Ottoman Empire. So for the first time in centuries, uh, it was held by a non-Muslim country. And then 30 years after that, approximately 30 years later, uh, the United Nations awarded the land to create a modern state of Israel. So against all kinds of odds, this thing happened. And it is constantly associated with the coming of the Messiah, or in Christian terms, the return of Jesus. So there've been lots and lots of Christian groups who said, you know, we expect Jesus because the Jewish people have returned to the Holy Land. It's very clear. And this expectation has been going on since the 1840s. uh, And always when it didn't happen, uh, it was okay, maybe it will happen sometime a little bit further in the future. expectation rose, particularly when the state of Israel was formed. And then some people said, well, it should happen within a generation of the state of Israel. So that's either 30 or 40 years from uh, 1948. Uh, So that would push it to 1988 at the latest. Uh, And we've moved past that now. And so this idea that Christ should come down from the sky is beginning to where A little bit thin in some circles. Uh People are beginning to say, maybe we should think about other interpretations. Um, So that's kind of what my book explores. It says, instead of, you know, when there was the Great Disappointment in 1844, um, instead of looking toward the future, maybe we should have gone out and looked elsewhere geographically to find out what else was going on in the world. And that, of course, was extremely difficult in the 1840s when people hardly knew anything about other religions. But since that time, it's become much and much uh, more easy since we have access to all kinds of information now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, you, you have to wonder, I'm sure millions have, it's like, uh, you know, what's he waiting for? You know it's kind of like this uh it's kind of like he's psyching everybody out like ah, ah, just kidding not now, you know, and uh <laughs> and so I mean and and I kind of look at it like I don't know I don't know if if the return is something that was literal or if it was something that was symbolic or that it you know it has a double meaning or a triple meaning mm-hmm. um. It it depends on your perspective and on on your um on your beliefs and on your mind and you know what how you think and how you how you look at situations differently Um, yeah you know uh, one way that that
1: i look at this is to look at the example of the coming of the messiah the first time that is when jesus arrived you know when jesus arrived 2000 years ago the jewish people were expecting an all-conquering leader who would overthrow rome and uh, you know, scatter the Roman forces and allow them to uh, live triumphantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, the, here comes this guy who's the son of a carpenter, and uh, you know, he's not wealthy, and certainly you know, he's got a few followers, but they have no military power whatsoever. And they're saying, you know, how can this be the Messiah? And yet, there were a few that were spiritually attuned that said that it's the spiritual reality that's important, it's not the physical reality. And lo and behold, even though he's crucified, his teachings spread, and after 300 years, it overthrows the Roman Empire. I mean, you know, it's really remarkable when you think about it, that uh, this empire of polytheism, the Roman Empire, uh, suddenly became monotheistic, starting with Constantine when he became Christian. I mean, you know, there were, obviously there were other, uh, there there was a small percentage of people who were Christian uh, by the year uh, that Constantine became Christian himself. I think that was 313 AD. Um, But, you know, in the long run, yes, the spiritual comes with a huge amount of power. But if people are looking only at the material level, they can ignore this, and they they miss it, so i'm thinking that in the same way um the return of Christ uh can happen today could have happened in the past um, and uh so that 's what the book is about
0: well um and yeah, and the book sounds fascinating, and like i said it it sounds like it's uh, i mean it's a, it's an epic journey uh and having fictitious fictitious characters um, walk on the landscape of actual real history it kind of you know it puts it puts both of both of them into perspective and puts them together in a story so um, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings similar I mean that's a made-up that's a made-up land um, but there was uh, a lot of truth in the different leaders and the different the storyline of lord of the rings um i you know tolkien wrote that kind of uh there were some factual elements to it but it was also a made up world you know so uh, and look at how popular that was so mm-hmm. i'm tell i'm telling the listeners you need to get a copy of this book uh and get both volumes cuz uh, i think you really enjoy um the story something that 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 i wanted to throw out you know and and just kind of send it to you and see what your reaction is um, what if the second coming, or the return, what if it's as simple as the world's people becoming becoming the message, becoming becoming um, God-like, Christ-like and, and we, as a world population? accept one another, love one another, stop killing one another, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, could that be the actual coming or the, or the return or the second coming of, 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 of Christ or, or a great teacher? Could it simply be us getting our act together as, 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 a, as people from around the world, May, maybe, it's not waiting for him, you know, uh, to return. Maybe it's waiting for the world to step up.
1: Well, there's, there's certainly, uh, an element of that. Uh, and certainly as you know, our systems of communication and transportation, uh, have expanded, uh, we get more exposure to the various peoples of the world. Uh, we're in, you know, constant contact. I mean, I thought we were in a lot of contact uh, in the 1990s and uh, then you know, came the internet and now social media and all the connection. Uh, it's just like all the boundaries have been blown away. Uh, and so the people are uh, mixing, um, sometimes uh, learning positively about uh, our differences and learning how, how to accommodate them unfortunately, sometimes also grouping themselves into certain groups which tend to be antagonistic toward each other, uh, and sometimes using these wonderful tools of communication for negative reasons instead of positive reasons. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, So I do think that, um, you know, we are going to, we we do need a shepherd. One of the um, stories in the Bible from John, uh, Jesus talks about, how uh, he is the good shepherd, um, and he talks about his return, and one of the interesting things he says in that passage uh, is that this is one fold. He is speaking to one fold, but there are other folds. He says, I have many folds of sheep, and when he returns, he will gather the folds together. So, this gathering of the folds means that every group of followers is going to have to move a little bit in order to come to one common spot. Right. Uh, but um, they don't move by themselves, you know. If you, if you let the sheep go completely unguided, they'll wander every which way. Some will come together and some will go farther apart. Uh, so mm-hmm. there is a need for the Good Shepherd uh, to return. And indeed, one of the statements that we have from the um, Old Testament is that um, the Messiah, the promised one, will be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty Lord, Government shall be upon his shoulder. Um, So it suggests that um, unlike Jesus, Jesus taught lots of wonderful things uh, about individual behavior. Uh, but as far as means of governing, uh, he didn't provide very much. Uh, so the expectation is that when he returns, uh, he will provide more about how we as humanity should govern ourselves. And, um, so that's one thing that I've, I've found here.
0: That's very interesting. Um, I guess, you know, the question of, uh, when will he return? Um and, and everybody has a different opinion on that. Um you know, I know uh from what I've read and and what I was taught growing up, um we all have free will and uh many people do good things with that free will and many people do not. Um I know there's you know there's we're as a country Uh, we're very divided Uh, as people. I think we're very divided and um, you know, I've so many people and things I've read, people are saying, uh, what is he waiting for? There isn't, there couldn't be a better time for his return than now. I mean, look at the chaos, look at the, and I, I see this as a, as as a, as a very large learning curve. Um, I think, that 2020 um, is a wake up call for many people to reassess their beliefs, uh, what's important to them, you know, um, and how can they become more tolerant of of, of uh, other people's beliefs and behaviors. And I think, I, I personally don't think that there's going to be a return until we either work it out amongst ourselves as people or we don't and it gets worse, you know? Um So it's, I guess I, I think, you know, he's just kind of waiting to see what happens. It's like, let's, let's see if they can figure this out on their own. And if not, I'll have to go down there and take care of it. You know, that type of thing.
1: <laughs> but we certainly, we certainly acknowledge uh, that it could get worse before mm-hmm. it gets better. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes that's just the, the way people are, they're, they're offered a message, they ignore it until the situation gets worse and worse. And only once it's gotten really bad, do they start to pay attention. So, um, that's, that's certainly a possibility It would be an unfortunate possibility. It's not a possibility without precedent, uh, unfortunately. So, uh, we do uh, hope to get the word out. I think that um, people have, you know, for so long a time, uh, clung to particular expectations uh, from their own religious background and have failed to attempt to understand this in spiritual terms. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I I like to say that the, um, the problem is not that the return of Christ is viewed as such a big thing. The problem is that it's, uh, it's viewed as something that's too small. And when I say too small, uh, what I mean by that is that most Christians will view the return of Christ as something that is for Christians. Um, whereas <laughs> in reality, the way that I see it is that it's got to be a return for people of all religions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, God doesn't, uh, doesn't just focus on one part of the world. We're all his creation. He's concerned about all of us. He's spoken to the ancestors of all of us in many different parts of the world. And so we need to open up to the bigger picture that the return could be a return for all rather than a return for just one particular religion.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. a
1: challenging idea um, but <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a you're...
0: major hurdle
1: <laughs> <laughs> well you'll find lots of uh, details that uh flesh out that idea in my book
0: mm-hmm. yeah i would imagine i would imagine so it would kind of explore uh many different aspects of of that point um it, it it's funny for the christians to have a perspective like that um you know The question you know to that that perspective is um so god only made the christians well who made everybody else
1: right you know
0: it's 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 like you know i i I get it you know that when jesus comes back he's only coming he's, he's only coming back to get the good christians and take them take them with him you know um but if they believe in God being the Father and Jesus being the Son, um, then it's like, well, who made everybody else that are that aren't that aren't Christians? Obviously, everybody was made, you know, by the same by the same father. So yeah, um exactly. And yeah, you know, that's I that's is, That's a tough question.
1: It, it's <laughs> implicit in the in the belief, if you believe in one God, then obviously there's only one creator. Mm-hmm. And if there's only one creator, then he created everybody. And if he created everybody, and he created us on the world that is so big that initially we couldn't be in touch with each other. Uh, so he had to provide guidance to each of these groups that were separated. And uh, you know, it's, it's my belief that in addition to the historic founders of the great religions, God has spoken to the indigenous peoples of the world uh, by sending messengers, and they have provided spiritual guidance for their peoples, Uh, in times when writing was not available. So their stories weren't written down and preserved in detail the way the founders of the great religions were preserved in detail. Uh, But even though they weren't preserved in detail, there are oral traditions that explain the basic ethical principles of these uh, different indigenous peoples. And you find a remarkable similarity, uh, both in their ethical principles but also in an anticipation of another messenger coming in the future Uh, Mm -hmm. native americans have this uh, but it's also exists among uh, african tribes uh, also exists in some respects you know among uh, eastern or the island the people of the islands so um yeah there's there's a lot there god god does pay attention to all his people not just one segment
0: yeah i i kind of perceive um religions, um, being similar to political parties. Um, I I think they're just factions. I think they're just teams for people to get, you know, to sign up on. Um, you know, I, I I'm not sure, but I think in the Bible, in one of the versions, it's been rewritten and there's so many versions of it and that that's another question which one's correct <laughs> who knows sure. um you know every that's everyone has a different opinion on that this is the right one and this is you no know, no this one is and so it's its another another convoluted question but um you know i think it, you know there's somewhere in the bible and i'm and i won't quote scripture because um i don't know where it's located at but as far as jesus um, not believe not believing in any one religion, but just believing in the message. Um, you know, the message of, of the father and and the son and, and his teachings. Um, you know, Buddha had great teachings as well. Mohammed, um, there are other leaders that are out there, and, and and the message is pretty much like you said earlier, it's the same message, mm-hmm. but yet we fight it and we don't get it. And I think it's simplistic. it's more simplistic than. We care to admit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we make it more complicated, and I think we make it uh, more of a struggle because we're in these groups, we're on these teams, we're you know the the specific rel- religions. Um, my opinion, and I may lose listeners, you know, over this, but uh, my opinion is, um, I, d- I don't, I don't think there is one religion that is correct. I mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just I don't. There isn't, um, and that goes for Christianity or any other religion that's out there. Um, I don't think a hundred percent, you know, is covered, and I don't think that anyone should one hundred percent buy into any one particular religion because the message is what they need to buy into, and that's the message is what they need to live.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I, I would, I would agree. I, I might phrase it that uh, uh, all religions are correct, Um, that I see them as part of one continuous story, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. one religion that has many chapters. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when the messengers come, they come in in different roles, which kind of explains why there are some differences. I think the one role of the messenger is to come as a doctor. Um, A doctor, of course, first finds out about what's wrong with the patient, And then he prescribes what's needed according to the needs of that particular time and place. So since the needs of the time and place vary, um, some of the message might vary. Uh, He comes also in the role of a teacher. You know, a teacher, a teacher of second graders uh, might also teach uh, 10th graders, but he's not gonna teach the same thing. He's going to teach according to the capacity of his students. Mm-hmm. so these messengers come and they know an infinite amount of things but they only teach according to what the followers can understand in fact you're probably familiar with a verse from the Bible where Jesus says I have many things to tell you but you cannot bear them now however when the spirit of truth has come he will guide you unto all truth so this is a reference to the coming of the next messenger Um, when people would be able to understand more. Uh, So that's one, you know, the the fact that uh, they come as a teacher, they come as a doctor. And then, of course, uh, (laughs) there are also the people that follow them that come as theologians and sometimes uh, get stuck on a particular interpretation. And Mm -hmm. that sometimes causes misunderstanding between the religions. Um, Right. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I see them essentially, you know, in essence, as all one uh, when viewed from the proper perspective.
0: Absolutely, um, <clears throat> we are we are down to the very last uh, couple of minutes here. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up for today. Um, this is uh, this has been enlightening. Um, I do have a a particular question that I wanted to ask you, but I'll do that off air. Uh, so don't when we're done don't don't disconnect because uh, I wanted just to ask you one question and I'll do that off here, um, but I, I appreciate you uh, Jay being on and telling us about uh, both Volume One and Volume Two of the Wise Men of the West. Um, folks, pick up a you know pick up a copy of these books. Um, they are filled with insight, knowledge, uh, entertainment. Um, epic saga adventure journey, uh, and a lot of learning and, uh, and understanding as well. So these, these books are, are very powerful. Um, we have been talking with Jay Tyson. He is the author of these, of these great books that I'm, that I'm talking of. And, uh, so definitely pick them up. Um, any, any last, uh, any last minute things that you have here as we kind of wrap up, uh, <laughs> the episode today, it's been a pleasure and I've learned so much and we could probably go, a lot longer, because there's still a bunch of questions in my mind that, that you know, I could ask, but, uh, but we want to keep it to about an hour, so uh, any, anything that you have to say as we wrap it up, Jay?
1: One last thing I was thinking about was that uh, a discussion that my publisher and I had over the subtitle of the book. Uh, the subtitle is A Search for the Promised One in the Latter Days. Now, I had wanted to include the adjective successful. A successful search for the promised one in the latter days. My publisher said that's giving too much away, but I just wanted to mention that for the sake of uh, your listeners, uh, give them a little clue that um, this is, uh, the search does come to a successful conclusion. So I'll leave it at that. Awesome. (laughs) I'll let them go forward with that.
0: (laughs) And the search continues. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Jay, for being on the, uh, on the man at 50 podcast. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we will go ahead and put your, uh, we'll have your links in the show notes that so people can reach out and connect with you. Uh, they can get your book, uh, reach out to you via social media, um, along with your bio, that'll be in the show notes and, and your links will be there. So folks will have that in the show notes for you and um, you'll be able to get in touch with Jay find out more about what he's doing. He is an author with uh, Something or Other Publishing, and we have been talking with several authors with, uh, that are with Something or Other Publishing. And so uh, I want to thank uh, Wade and Christian uh, there at Something or Other Publishing. They kind of connected us. And uh, I met several authors. You guys are great people. Uh, <laughs> and I like working with, uh, with, that, with that publishing company as well. So uh, thanks, thanks so much, Jay. And I uh, hope you have a great day. Thanks for joining me. Uh, I will let you know when the podcast goes live. And uh, I'll end the show with uh, the same message I always, I always send it with. And that is, love your little me. And remember, they're always with you. So love yourself. Take care. Until next time, uh, we'll be back uh, soon with another episode of the Man of 50 podcast. But for now, take care of yourself. And bye for now. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. You're welcome. This has been the Man at 50 podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us next week for our next episode and our next guest on the show. Visit us on the web at www.bradrichard.net. That's www.bradrichard.net. Until next time, take care.